Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. Ah, you know, just fiddling about. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with It's the Interview Series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thanks, as always, for making your way here, checking out the series. Uh, please hit the subscribe button while you're here as well. I put out three new interviews every single week. That's a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at all the usual spots like iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Once again, I get to hang out with Les Claypool. Always a pleasure and an honor to uh, to get some time with this fella right here. And this time, we're talking about Primus's upcoming continuation of their A Tribute to Kings tour, where they play the 1977 Rush album, uh, Farewell to Kings, in full. Now, Les and I are going to go in and discuss his fandom for a Peter Gabriel, XTC, and Jerry Reed before he gives us an update on the next Primus release, which, get this, a 13-minute song with two additional tracks as well. So th three songs in total, but uh, one is is massive. Uh, there's a project, another project with Sean Lennon. Of course, they do the uh, Claypool Lennon Delirium. This one has something to do with the animation and also a uh, twang thing with uh, Billy Strings. And I'm going to ask about the possibility of another Oysterhead album. They've done one, and that was over 20 years ago. Uh, Les then heads back uh, to 2002 to talk about the Purple Onion LP, one of my favorite albums he's ever done but also the uh, possibly problematic song Ding Dang in the era of cancel culture, uh, using his characters as a vehicle for social commentary. And we're also going to talk about his upcoming bastard jazz shows as well. And finally, uh, Les has his own line of wine. Uh, so does Tools. Maynard James Keenan, they are friends. I want to ask, uh, ask uh, if he's uh, been drinking Maynard's wine much. And let me tell you, there's a pretty great quotes that comes along with it. So let's do this. Talking about Primus and mostly about the upcoming uh, tour of A Farewell to Kings, it's Kyle Meredith with Les Claypool. Aloha. It is good to see you again. Uh, lots going on, I feel like, in the uh, in the Les Claypool world. Uh, you're going to be actually, I should point out, uh, back here in Louisville, uh, May 30th, Old Forester's Paris Town Hall, playing the uh, A Tribute to Kings tour, where you're, uh, you're covering Rush, the album front to back, uh, which with this is uh, the continuation of the tour, right? Correct. We uh, were doing a big run through Canada and we missed some shows uh, uh, 
uh, last summer because of uh, hurricanes and COVID. So, yeah. well, this is a this is I like the way you say it, Louisville. 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 Like people from Louisville <laughs> say Louisville. I love. I, I, I can't get it. That's that shows that I'm an outsider. It's. Uh, I've noticed that. I, it's a weird thing to get. Somebody told me once that um, if uh, if if you say it like Elvis would, but with marbles in your mouth, you get kind of close to it. Whatever that means. Yeah, all right, I'm gonna get it now. I'll nail it. <laughs> that sounded all right. Uh, it, it has been cool watching you guys uh, on, on this tour and everything. Uh, your storied history, of course, with Rush. You know the early concerts, your friendships with the band. And going back, of course, uh, what, 30 years ago, I think 30 years ago this year, 1992, was that that's when you all toured with Rush, Jeez. right? I try not to think like that. That just. Oh, I, oh if that's a problem, you're going to yeah. enjoy the rest of this interview right okay, here. Okay, great. It's going to be a lot of time it. traveling. <laughs> yeah. It's, I was trying to think back, though, because 1992, you know, not completely broken into the mainstream buzz bend of the MTV world. All, all, but here you are opening up for, you know, a legendary, like, and to be so different than I, I would expect what those fans would think. What did those, what, what was your perception of the fans, the Rush fans thought of Primus at the time? Well, the strange thing is, is because I, you know, I was one of those Rush fans going to all those shows and being very scrutinizing. And the thing about Rush fans, they're very discerning, but incredibly polite. So, um, uh, even if they didn't like what you were doing, they would they would have you know been polite about it. I think because I actually I talked Getty and those guys into taking the Melvins out with them, and I I watched that show at the Cow Palace, and I watched the people just squirming in their seats as the Melvins were blasting over their faces, and um, and the Melvin sound man was notoriously uh, loud. <laughs> so uh, it was a much different experience than we had opening for them. Um, it went great for us. I mean, uh, you know, obviously there's there's a lot of parallels you can draw. I mean, there's a lot of you, you there's a lot of differences, but there's a lot of par you know, three piece, uh, guy with a giant drum kit, guy with a big nose uh, on the bass and singing. Um, you know, so their fans actually took took to us quite well, and and that's why they took us on tour a few times. It's a great it's a great lineup, and and here you are again. Uh covering that album front to back and you've had some time to do it now like uh you know th there have been some shows when you get inside it like this at this point do you find that you're finding anything new is it still offering you anything well we haven't played it in a few months now because we've you know been off so uh i don't remember any of it so now we have to go back in and, and <laughs> practice and relearn it um is there things new about it i mean i don't really know i mean it's it's hard because we're so inside of it but you know, it was definitely we've Primus. It, people think we rehearsed all the time to do all this crazy shit, and we are the, we're the laziest band on the planet. We never rehearse. We will like write songs, learn the songs, and that's it. You know, we very rarely rehearse, and when we do rehearse, we play for a little bit and jam around, and we go drink wine and eat steaks. But um, for the Rush thing, we had to rehearse, and we rehearsed a lot, and it was actually pretty. It was a pretty amazing bonding experience for us because we got this new rehearsal space. The guys came in from out of town and we had to really work hard because if you're going to do take on rush, you got to, like I said, rush fans are very, very discerning. And I, we, I, we had to do everything as close to the original as we possibly could right down, to, right down to even using some of their instruments. <laughs> oh, right. But, but don't you have that, that moment where you want to primus it up a little bit? Um, well, I, in the end, my son was listening to some of the rehearsals because he has a little uh, uh, film production 
a spot right there in the in the mixing room and he's like you know dado it sounds great everything sounds great but you need to quit trying to sing it like getty sing it like you would sing it but you know and i was like yeah okay and so i it got to the point where some of these things because he you know i even talked to getty about it. i was like how the hell did you sing in that upper stratosphere you know was that falsetto or full voice he's like oh no it was full voice he goes that's why i don't do a lot of those songs anymore but there's certain characters in the Primus world, you know, like uh, Sergeant Baker, where it's Sergeant Baker, you know, it gets up there. So there's times when we're, I'm getting ready to do a part on like Cygnus and I'll just think, okay, go to the Sergeant Baker voice and I'll take that and I'm able to do it. So it, it is vocally, it's more Primus, uh, but I, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm too far off, but some of those notes are just, you know, it's like only, only Getty and, and Dolphin can hit those notes, you know? Well, that same year, uh, I guess you guys were touring uh, Miscellaneous Debris, the EP that just came out. Had you guys doing the, these cover songs, which I hadn't listened to in a while. It was really fun kind of going back and checking those out. And and my first thought, you know, Intruder comes on. And again, not having heard it well, it's like, wait a second. Did Korn take their entire sound from the way you guys did Intruder? Because, man, that's, uh, that sounds like they could have. Yeah, I have no idea. But yeah, Intruder, that's that's... You know, I, I was a, well, we all were actually, uh, I, but I was a massive Peter Gabriel head back in the, you know, his, his early stuff, you know, Shock the Monkey, I think is one of the greatest albums of the eighties. Um, I mean, not, not Shock the Security with Shock the Monkey on it, but um, so to, to do some Gabriel was, uh, was always a treat. I think we've covered a couple Gabriel tunes over the years. Yeah. You end up doing it uh, with rhinoplasty. Same with XTC. They made both uh, those EPs on there as well. Yeah, and it's funny because people don't usually, um, we deliberately did some of these records to pay homage to some of these heroes. And, um, and it's funny because we never really get the, the Gabriel XTC parallel. You know, people don't, people, I think you're the only ones ever brought it up, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, we were all huge XTC fans. And that last document, and, and Dukes of Stratosphere, of course, you know. Yeah, especially at FPK, we I th we play a lot of XCC because and Peter Gabriel too. But because we like them, our mid morning hosts used to own the uh, the record store Ear XTC, which was named after them. So it's sort of, there's it's sort of in my world all the time anyway. So I'm sure that's one reason why I jumped out. But but sound wise, it does it does make sense. I mean, the way you guys did Nigel, you know, it's such a classic reading of that track. If I'm not trying to be too heady when I say it like that, but you know, it's a great cover. Well, sometimes it, it's. It, it sort of depends. Like some songs, you it's almost sacrilege to try them, try to do them. Um, and if you do, you kind of have to bend them in your own way, which we did on Miscellaneous Debris on, on all those songs, except for maybe Amos Moses. But uh, uh, with the Rush thing, it's it was you have to do it just like it or parody it. You can't. There's no in between. You know what I mean, now of course you got the the. Uh... You're able to call up Getty, as you're saying, talk to him, run this whole ideas by them uh, in, in whatever fashion. But when you're putting out those covers, like, did you have that opportunity with any of the other moments like Andy Partridge or, or calling up anybody in Pink Floyd, you know, that you're going to be covered? Like, did those moments get to happen or do you at least hear from them afterwards? Uh, I've never I've never met any of the well, I've met Roger Waters before, but I, I didn't know any Floyd people or Gabriel. I've never met Gabriel. You know, I wouldn't know what to say to Gabriel. But uh, I did hear a great story <laughs> from Warren Haynes once told me it was Warren and Farmer. Farmer was his old guitar tech. And I guess I guess maybe Farmer was working for Jerry Reed at some point. I'm not sure. But 
they were like, yeah, Jerry, have you heard of this guy, Les Claypool, you know, Primus, uh, he's a huge fan of yours and blah, 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 blah. And they did Amos Moses and he played him Amos Moses. And Jerry got kind of pissed off. He said, you're going to tell me that weirdo motherfucker was influenced by me. I don't, you know, he, was, he got all, he got all bent out of shape. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, I thought it was pretty good. But yeah. uh, never met Jerry. I would have loved him. I would have loved to play with Jerry Reed. He's, oh my God, I love his guitar playing. Absolutely. I think one of the, uh, so you and I have done the interview a few times, and I think one of the ones we, we talked about uh, our love of uh, our early country and Americana and things like that. I'm sure Jerry Reed came up. I, I'm a big fan as well. And you know. Yeah, well, I mean, I used to buy, um, when I was a kid, that shows how you know, ancient I am, uh, you know, every time I'd get a dollar, I'd buy a 45. And so if I ever got an A on my report card, I would get a dollar and I could, and I would go buy a 45. I didn't have too many 45s if, if you're getting my drift there. But one of the very first 45s I ever bought, if not the very first one was Amos Moses. Wow. So, um, but it's funny cause I've been, I've been playing, uh, playing with uh, Billy Strings lately. And I, I was talking to him about Jerry Reed, you know, cause that, that, you know, old, old Billy can, he can twang it up and, uh, uh, we are, we are, I actually told him the, the farmer Warren Haynes, uh, Jerry Reed story. So, but it's interesting how all that stuff kind of comes around, you know, all these different, I mean, it's, it's odd. I'm doing, you know, I just did a, a we just recorded some new primus. Um, I'm working on stuff with Sean Lennon and I'm doing this twang thing with Billy strings. So I'm at, and at the same time learning rush songs. So it's kind of, my world is, is, is quite diverse these days musically. So you throw a pandemic in when nobody can tour. And for fans, this is what I was hoping to hear, you know, from like all of my favorite artists. It's like, all we've done is make new music. You know, that's, that's what I want. I didn't, I did nothing. I did during the pandemic itself. I was dead. I, it was odd. You know, it was all this, you would think with all the turmoil and, and free time and, and with the politics and the pandemic and all this stuff that it would have been huge fodder and inspiration to go in the studio. And it was the first time in like 30 years, I was completely dead. I ended up buying an old excavator and just clearing fire roads all around my property. Cause we're in California in the fire zone. So, and I did some painting, but that was it. It wasn't until after things started loosening up that I, I kind of, once we started re re rehearsing the Primus, the, the, the King stuff is when it really, the juices started flowing again. Well, that's exciting though. So you said you, there's, I, I'm guessing what you're saying is there's a new Primus album on the way. There's a, a new Delirium record on the way. I mean, is, is, is that what you're getting at? I mean, will we be getting this in new music uh, album form? Well, Shiner and I are working on a, um, we're, we're working on a, an idea for a, for an animated piece, but um, that's still sort of in flux. But um, the Primus thing we, we we've recorded, uh, basically what, what I wanted to do was record one giant song, which we did. Um, but you can't just re release one song. So we had to have a B-side. So we recorded another song, but then the first song was so giant that we had to do two songs. So now we have, we're doing a, th a three song, uh, 12 inch single. Wow. Are you, are you trying to build like a thematic piece out of it? Um, I think it's more, we didn't have a, we didn't have a ton of time to go and make a full blown album, but also how many people are open to us playing a full-blown album live these days? You know, it's like, we got the Rush stuff, we got all our stuff. You know, when you go see a band that you've been seeing for many years, oftentimes watching them play a bunch of new songs isn't necessarily what you... <laughs> so, 
but trickling in a few songs, I think is, is it, it will, will be, uh, that's that way we can actually play these things live and we're not burying people with all this music that they don't know. You know what I mean? I Except guess. for the one song is literally 13 minutes long. So, <laughs> so get, get, get comfortable anyway. So regardless, right. You, yeah, right. It's, I mean, that's, you gotta, that's go, to, go to the bathroom before we start that one. What is it? That still is like playing three or four songs in a new songs in a row. So, you know, it's, yeah, but the people don't see it that way. No, that's true. Yeah. I don't know. We're, who the hell knows? The rec recording industry is in such an odd state these days. You know, we're going to, you know, release cassettes and NFT versions. That's probably what we'll end up doing. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm excited, actually excited to hear about this, the whole version of the project that that sounds exciting. I say that as a fan anyway, to hear what you guys are going and with Sean too. I mean, the, the records that you put out so far, uh, God, I've loved, I mean, that chemistry that you all have together, it's pretty beautiful. Well, that's good. Cause we, we have a great chemistry as friends, you know, where it's almost like we're brothers now, you know, it's, we, we laugh, we party, we debate <laughs> and uh you know he's i i i'm i'm very fond of that that human and he and he's him and my family are very tight you know so it's it's very cool and and he's fucking good <laughs> so and I'm, I'm actually pretty excited about this thing i'm doing with billy right now too i mean billy's you know he's he's hey he can that guy can fucking play and he's he he has i call it salt because i've always said the the greatest musician I've ever worked with is Bernie Worrell because he had that salt. He had he had all this technical ability, but he had just the salt of life. You know, he had so many life experiences that just came out in everything he did. And I feel like Billy's kind of this old soul, and the stuff he plays, it just blows my mind. So it's it's I, I'm I'm pretty damn lucky I get to play with these people that I get to play with. Well, and, and sort of on that subject too, you finally got to do at least uh, a few dates with Oysterhead, the the stop and start of that band. Always, uh, was there ever talk? Uh, you know, as we're talking about new music, uh, there was never a second record there. Did, I mean, was that is could that still happen? You know, we always talk about it when we're sitting around, but you know, all three of us are so busy, we just haven't really find the time to do it, you know, and that's, and that's an undertaking there, you know, the oyster, you know, you got three guys that are pretty, you know, three, three alpha dogs in the same room. Um, it's more of an undertaking, I think, than just, but who knows? Who knows? I've been talking to Stuart lately about just let's get together and just start jamming on a bunch of shit and see what happens, you know? Yeah, I was looking at, and, and the, you know the anniversaries the way they go the first oysterhead record happened and of course 9-11 happened but then you got around to purple onion and i'm bringing that up because that's one of my favorite albums that you've ever done I, I still love listening to that one right there especially when you look at it now if you do maybe in this moment especially through the lens of, of post 9-11 and and something like uh david uh mcalaston um i think i'm saying that right I don't know what comes to mind. Do you see that album differently now at all than maybe when it came out uh, in, in sort of present day? Well, I listened to a little bit of it recently because I was talking to to Shiner about, um, you know, all this cancel culture, whatnot, you know, and his his he's releasing his father's his father's uh, um, record, uh, which has, you know, woman is the n-word of the world you know and i'm like oh you know how how and i'm asking him how's he getting how's he dealing with that you know just the, the the nature of putting that out there and 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 i said well i've got this song ding dang on on um on um purple onion that's equally as i mean 
it, people look at it wrong and I could be cancel culture. Not that I'm, there's anything to cancel, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that the, the, uh, I, how, how does that pertain to me looking at the record? It was more, more just, uh, I played it for Sean recently and he was, he was surprised um, and somewhat concerned for me. <laughs> But yeah. but in one sense, if you want to, you just leave the song in the past. I mean, we've heard of that. Uh, I love playing that song. The song, it's a, I mean, and I, it's it's a statement, obviously, um, mocking the uh, the uh, uh, the notion of, of of bullying and and perception of oneself and perception by other people and how that affects how you can turn out in life. And, and, you know, there's a few examples in that song. Um, one of them being someone I know that, that uh, ended up in being in prison because of the way they were, they were perceived as a child. Um, so I don't know, it's, it's, but in, in this day and age, there's not a lot of surface scratching as much as there is just looking at, the, at, at, uh, at what's, on, what's on the surface and, and reacting to that. Does that make sense? Uh, context is important. I think I've said that uh, in a handful of these interviews and similar subjects as we're talking about right here. But I do love that that Tom Waits put Purple Onion on his top 20 list and that, that, that pops up every now and again and it makes me smile. Hey there, it's Kyle Meredith from Kyle Meredith With. After you check out the latest episode of my show, uh, be sure to check out some of our other great programs on the Consequence Podcast Network, including Standing BTS, a bi-weekly podcast covering all things BTS and ARMY, and The Opus, Consequence's original documentary podcast exploring legendary albums and their lasting legacies. So head to Consequence.net to listen to these podcasts and many great others. I'm I'm jumping around years here too because I was just looking at the big round anniversaries and and uh, and it was still back in '92. That was the same year that you did uh, uh, was it Earth Died Screaming um, with him on the uh, on the Bone Machine. And I'm I'm just do you still talk to Tom lately? Because I just want to know is there ever going to be another record? It's been over a decade now. I mean I can't speak for Tom, but you know I, I know he's always got things clicking around. He's just that's just the type of guy he is. So I can't imagine that. I can't imagine there's any dust settling on that guy. So, yeah, um, love. I'm, I'm again just such a huge fan of that. What I was going to get back to, you know, as, as we were talking, especially uh, you know with Purple Onion and and the context and the characters, it's hard not to bring up Sathington, uh, Sathington Willoughby as well, because I guess I don't know how you see it. These characters like this, do they give you the opportunity? to approach certain types of, uh, of, of, of social commentary uh, in an easier way? Yeah, I mean, that is my vehicle. That's my conduit to, it's funny because, so this new song that we're releasing with Primus, it's called Conspiranoia and it's 13 minutes long. And, um, and I played it for my son. My son has become this, this pretty amazing sounding board for me lately. In fact, he's, he's making the Primus documentary right now. and. And he was helping Sean and I with the script on this thing we're working on. He's 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 a um, uh, game major grad, and but and so he does all this crazy digital this and that and the next thing. But he really wants to make film. He's been making films. He did this thing with me and Robert Trujillo, and he does all these little shorts. But anyway, um, so I played this song "Conspiranoia" for him, and he was like, "You know, Dad, it's kind of 
it's it's coming off a little preachy you might want to you know what you, you know the one thing i'm he's even referred to this because the one thing i'm learning doing all these interviews for the primus documentary is how you guys have created this this universe with all these characters there's all these characters that are that voice their opinions and he said i don't see that in this song so i went back and i rewrote the lyrics to this song and re-recorded them and now there's characters and they're expressing their viewpoints um in a in a tongue-in-cheek way um it's not as in your face as it was and it's it's more me it's more and but i took my son pointing that out for me to 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 do it but for me that's always it all started with my vocals it's like i would write these i would be in bands and I'd write these songs and i didn't like the way the singers would do my songs so i and i couldn't sing for shit so when I started Primus, I just kind of always thought I was the narrator and I'd put on, you know, I'm doing John the Fisher, I'd be John the Fisherman, I'd be the guy, you know, the, 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 the Herald of the Rocks guy, or I'd be, you know, Sergeant Baker, I'd put on these, these, I would actually think like Mel Blanc of a character. And, and that's how I would do, do the songs, because I never had confidence in myself as a singer, so I always thought I was the narrator. It wasn't until the 2000s when I got, started playing with Trey Anastasio and people like that could actually sing that I started really working on my voice and becoming com com confident in my voice. But all those characters kind of started through that because, you know, I can look at the, you know, rally around the family with a pocket full of shells guys and, and, and admire it and think it's wonderful, but it's really not me. It's not my persona, you know, it's not me. So, but I, I still have things to say. So I say them through these characters. It's kind of like, you know, watching a Terry Gilliam film or Coen brothers or, you know, Frank Capra. Frank Capra was amazing at that. The words I had written down by, by Sathington was conspiracies. Uh, you know, you hadn't said the title of that song yet. And it's just like, that's what I thought. It's like, for what's happening in the zeitgeist right now in the world and in, in culture, it seems like a perfect time for commentary from that character. Well, we'll see. <laughs> if I want to chew on a 13 minute Primus song. <laughs> Absolutely. I know you've got, uh, it's not just this, but, uh, but uh, Bastard Jazz. You, you you get another round of that one coming out after jazz is just like that's almost like a ah, that's just me because i don't have to rehearse or anything i just go up on stage with like some of the most amazing musicians i know and just just fucking like sling pasta at the wall you know it's like it's like being in a room with a bunch of great conversationalists and just talking shit you know it's it's, a, it's such a wonderful thing there's no there's no preconceived anything i mean and, and for anyone that doesn't uh know I mean, a lot of this is just built, built on improv, right? Oh, it's all improv. It's just, I, we don't know what's going to happen when we walk. I don't even know what instrument I might, I'm thinking of grabbing, I got this old fretless I used to play and I haven't used it on hardly anything in years. And I might bust that out at these shows and just to, just for the, just for the hell of it, you know, see what happens. I, I love seeing that. I'll bring up uh, really quickly. The last time we did an interview was you and me and Sean, and we were in Nashville uh, in the green room or whatever that venue. And you blew my mind with something that I, it's something was so obvious that I just had never thought about. And we were talking about songwriting and you said most songwriting is just jamming anyway. Most songwriting just comes from jamming. And it's the rest of us who try to put all this importance upon it. Uh, you know, that's, I, I, I said that parts and everything, but, um, but knowing that, you know, you get up on that stage without a net and I'm talking about with bastard jazz now, you know, to get up on that stage and it's just the jamming part. You know, I, I don't know. Is there a is there a goal in mind at least when you start? And and we all know how jazz works, but for you personally, where the note begins, 
do you want it to become sort of like a song eventually or does it just get to exist in this sort of whateverness well i mean what what defines a song i i, I think it's more it's just it's just expression you know um it's like finger painting and the thing is is you know we call it bastard jazz it's kind of taking the piss out of everything because you know i've had a few people that are like big jazz aficionados that have gone to some of these q a's that we do and go what, what so what era jazz are you playing what you know they're trying to get me to define it and i'm like no that's why it's bastard jazz you know it's this is like this bastardized thing that's improvisational it really has nothing to do with any type of con traditional anything so yeah as far as the 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 i think when you have great players it's it's way easier to to not even worry about the safety net you know it's like i could i could just lay on the ground and it's going to be a good show you know what i mean like i don't even have to fucking play these guys are monsters so i'm excited to see what comes out of that as well uh and beyond that i know the, um, the music you said script with sean uh, i don't know what that means but that sounds interesting as well that's not just an album i'm guessing yeah we're still trying to figure out what the hell it is <laughs> So I can't go too much into it because we, we're, we're 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 still scratching our heads as to what the hell we're doing, but we're trying to write some sort of narrative. Yes. Wine keeping you busy too? Do you get to have you been able to to kind of, you know, put your foot in that dirt uh, through all of this last couple of years? I just drink it. My my wife is more in charge of 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 you know peddling it and making sure it it happens. Um, I I I I draw design the labels and I drink it and I invent the hot dogs every now and again because we have we sell fancy wieners at the tasting room out of a 20 foot fiberglass hot dog. Oh, that's beautiful. It's pretty amazing. Actually, yeah. Here, I'll show you a picture. I found this thing in San Diego a handful of years ago. A couple of my friends standing in front of it. Look at this thing. It's amazing. Can you see it? The 20 foot wiener <laughs> with two six foot wieners in front of it. <laughs> that's beautiful. I'm going to be uh... it's a all the wiener wagon. I'm going to be seeing Maynard tonight with, with, with Tool. Do you, do you find yourself ever tasting the other musicians' wines as well? Do, have you tried his or Dave Matthews or any of those? Uh, I've, I've, had, I've had Maynard's. I mean, Maynard, Maynard's the fucking real deal. You know, I mean, look, our Pinot is unbelievable. It's spectacular. I have Cellar Palette. It's one of the best Pinots you can get in Northern California. And I can say that because I don't personally make it. We got this guy, Ross Cobb. We've had him for years now. And he's like the guy. And the only reason we got him is he's a bass player. You know, now he's a very good friend. But at the beginning, it was he was a bass player. He wanted to make 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 my wine. And, you know, we sell our wine in one restaurant and that's French Laundry. And it's only because it's the French Laundry. Otherwise, we don't sell it to any restaurants. We just sell it all direct. But Maynard actually makes his wine. He built his he built his um, his uh, his winery. He's building another winery. He actually is the winemaker. I mean, so, you know, it's, he's the real deal. And he's, he's, you know, they have that appellation down there in um, Arizona, which, you know, nobody ever thinks of, of Arizona wines, but he's actually, if anybody's going to put Arizona wines on the map, it's going to be him because he's very passionate about it. He's very intelligent and he knows what the hell he's doing. And I think he's got a good palate. I just had him on the show talking about that too. And the, the way he puts a lot of that money right back into the community uh, uh, around it. I mean, it's, I think he's doing great things over there. Just, yeah. You have know. you ever been, we were just there. We were just out in the, was it Cotton, Cottonwood? It's where he's building his new place. And we ate at his restaurant and it was, he was out of town at the time we were touring through, but it was, it's spectacular. I haven't been out there yet. One of these days, one of these one days. One of these days, but he doesn't have a 20 foot wiener. <laughs> 
<laughs> some kind of pull quote right there. <laughs> Les, thank you so much as always. Again, uh, you're going to be back here in Louisville. I'm excited to see you uh, at the end to uh, Old Forester's Paris Town Hall, May 30th. Uh, sir, it's always a pleasure. All right. Ciao. Now I'm also going to include uh, some of my previous interviews with Les Claypool. The first one goes back just a few years to 2019. Uh, I actually referenced this interview in uh, in our latest interview. This is uh, Les and Sean, Sean Ono Lennon, as we were talking about the Claypool Lennon Delirium album, South of Reality. Uh, we also discuss environmental issues, black holes, science facts, uh, and, and a lot more beyond that, actually. So we're just going to do this. Part two, Kyle Meredith with Les Claypool. Guys, howdy, howdy! Welcome back. Album number two, correct? Yeah, South of Reality. It makes it real uh, for us at this point. It's there getting you, real, dude. Yeah, semi-real. I don't know because you know all our favorite artists get together all the time, you know, for kind of one-offs, and I, you never know if it's going to happen again. And, and here it is. Does it? Did you go into this one with it feeling different? Did it have a different kind of with mm. more intent than, hey, let's have fun? Does that? Mm. Does it happen like that? I think we were just used. We we had a better flow this time because we'd already made a record, so we kind of had a, yeah, a the, flow uh, going. The honeymoon was over. We sort of got to know each other. Sleeping other's in separate bedrooms, you know. <laughs> who was going to twiddle what knob and whatnot? You know, I mean, our work ethic. Yeah, but as far as the songwriting itself, though, I mean, I guess that's what I mean. Is did, do you do you figure out what works and what doesn't? And you're like, okay, all right, now we can size this out because you all have so much history of your own writing behind you to kind of. So much history. The weight of history. <laughs> I mean, I, I think we actually have a pretty good flow with songwriting. It's not like we write a bunch of stuff we don't like or something. I think we started the band because we sort of shared a lot of the same tastes or proclivities. And so we tend to, we had a good instinct for what we wanted to do, I think, with the band. And it happens quickly and the inspiration moves fast, doesn't it? Yes, the perspiration moves fast. The perspiration is... Is salty. I mean, I think the difference between the two records is a we prepared a little more for this one. The first one, like I was, you know, it was like the honeymoon. We were trying to see who was going to do what, and you know, he ended up on the drums, which was a new thing for me on the first record. And I sat at the console, and we and this one we just knew exactly where we were going to go, and we had had uh, uh, hung out in both Manhattan and upstate New York for a couple of weeks, just jamming on acoustic guitars and eating lots of food and drinking wine and 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 writing down or uh, recording little notes on our on our riffs and whatnot on our phones and then when we came back little together nuggets. we had we had some more fleshed out nuggets to to drop on each other yeah so. it's it's interesting when you hear it too because <laughs> oh what it sounded ex dropping fleshy nuggets <laughs> on each other <laughs> And yeah, that's, that's my shiner right there. <laughs> that's the boy. Uh, because when you said, like, the cool thing about listening to this record, or maybe both the records, too, is, like, you can't figure out, I can't figure out, like, what's a jam and what's maybe written specifically to sound like something. Because, I don't know, there's a... It's a fine line. There's the fine line between jam and prog. And I think this album is that fine line, you know. It's and like, just stepping on your guitar. It's a fine line. Where does that stop and begin? It's pram. It's jog. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, most things, and I, would, I, I can't speak for everybody, but, but most riffs do come from jamming or noodling or whatever you, whatever you want to call it, you know. You just stumble across something interesting. Very rarely do I sit down and go, I'm going to write something that sounds like this. It just something comes out and it, it sticks, yeah. you know. 
But we do have sections. I mean, Les is also good at sort of, especially on the live during the live show, designating the improv sections. So they're always parenthetical and they're they're bookended by composition. So it's not like anything ever goes off the rails. There's always a way. Oh, to it goes bring off it the rails. <laughs> it's just we know how to go off the rails with style. Well, In yeah. the good way. There's the good falling off the rails. <laughs> And I hear that a lot in your past, and I don't know how much you've had. Obviously, with, with you know, Ghost of a Saber-Toothed Tiger, there was some psychedelic in there, but, but how much of what you're talking about was new to you coming into this? Like, how much further did you have to go? Well, it was exciting for me what was new joining a band with Les is that there's, I guess there's a culture on the stage of, of taking longer improvised sections and also taking more solos and stuff, which is just something I hadn't really... And participated talking a lot in that of shit much. in between songs. Yeah, we got we have good banter as well. But no, so that At was least we think it's good banter. <laughs> that was fun. I mean, I've done some improvising, but not as as much as I do now with less. And uh, it's taught me a lot. It's made my playing better, and it's been fun learning how to be comfortable flying by the seat of your pants. Because he's you know he's good at being like, all right, now, he gives you a look. We'll improvise for a while, but then we'll bring it back just as quickly. Which is um, you know, I think that's that's what's fun is having the tools to kind of let go but you know how to bring it back so uh, it's been fun learning how to improvise within you know uh, limits and, and, and less I mean you've got beyond Primus you do a lot of different uh, collaborations I guess and to be the band leader in that way I mean it, do you find it different with different artists the way you kind of conduct in the way Sean's talking about do you use the baton with the other <laughs> baton. Da, da, da. yeah I use a sword in this band um, I mean not necessarily. I mean, I, I don't know. I feel like I tend to like to, I, I, I'm that guy. I like to drive, you know, when I get in the car, I hate it when my manager's driving because he's a horrible driver, but I don't, I like to drive, <laughs> drive. You know, I drive my tour bus. I like to drive. It's just, maybe I'm a control freak. I don't know what it is, but I feel like even with um, my position as the bass player, you know, I lock with the drums and I, I feel like I can move the thing along. But, of course, the dynamic of the tune is often dictated by, by the, the, the soloist and how the solo's going and whatnot. But I'll, I'll help nudge it along or, or try and follow what's going on. But it also depends. You know, when you're in a band like Oysterhead with someone like Stuart, I mean, Stuart likes to drive, and you just kind of chase him around. Mm -hmm. And it's a glorious, wonderful thing. It's just a different, different dynamic. So, a bit of trust falling going on in, uh, with, with your musical partner. I think it's like anything else. I mean, I keep going back to music as a conversation, and there's times when you're in a conversation and someone is leading the conversation for a while, and then you lead the conversation for a while, and then you know you, you toss it's like you toss the ball around, whatever metaphor you want to use. Mm -hmm. And um, flesh nuggets, <laughs> you know, flesh nuggets, <laughs> and uh, uh, it's very similar with music. You know, as long as you have uh, enough vocabulary to sort of stay in the conversation, there's a lot of interesting things can happen. And I tend to play with guys that have pretty, pretty strong musical vocabulary. I like that our, this is the Flesh Nuggets interview. By the way. Yeah, Let's Flesh go. Nuggets. For all time. It's, the new, it's going to be a new, new thing at McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to hit on the, the title because South of Reality sounds like a place where both of you may have spent your time, but it also sounds like a place where all of us have been forced to spend our time in the past few years. Exactly. Am I hitting close with either of those, yeah. both of those? I think, you're, I think it can be, it's, it's all open to interpretation. I think both those interpretations are, are, are relative. Yeah. With, let's say, the current state of, of things uh, politically, environmentally, uh, all of that, 
Has that changed the way this, this recent administration changed the way that you've written topical in any way, either of you? I think we're really influenced by current affairs, but I mean, not any more than we're influenced by, you know, stories and things that, have, that we read about, you know, from other times. I think we're just, I mean, we, well, Les t has a really good imagination, so he often comes up with completely original narratives, whereas I tend to read a lot of stuff and sometimes I try to interpret reality into the lyrics, but I think it depends. But we definitely, there's a lot of the modern world in the record, I would say. But I, don't know if it's, modern, I don't know if it's overt world. or if it's intentional necessarily. There's elements, of course, and I think you are influenced by what's going on either right in front of you or peripherally. I mean, that's, I think that goes without saying. Um, uh, well, I guess has this one, that's what I mean, with, with however you've done it in the past, have you noticed that it's been different because things, I guess, seem escalated. They do to me, they do to yeah. a lot of artists. A lot of artists, I, I've noticed, have gone kind of inside with the anxiety, isolation, themes like that. Uh, mm. It's not something I get on this record. This record, especially when you take a, um, a song like, like Fleas, you know, that, that ends the record. I mean, that's pretty right there, kind of in your face, what you might be talking about with the, uh, the environments. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote the lyrics to that song and, and, and taught, or most of them, tossed them at, at, at Sean and said, oh, yeah, I have this, this tune about the notion of parasitic man and blah, 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 blah. And he says, oh, yeah, we're like fleas on the back of a dog. The earth, Mother Nature's just trying to shake us off. And I was like, there's the there's chorus, the you know, there's the chorus right there. So, you know, or even the opening song, uh, Little Fishes. Um, and I've gotten a little flack recently because of one of the lines. I know that was surprising. The, Which line the song. is this? There's a there's a line in the song that says, uh, uh, "Gone are the days when your brand of genitalia would determine where to piss." And so I, to say that. I guess there's been some folks that have thought I'm transphobic, which I'm not. I'm just making an observation as if I was saying, "Gone are the days when." The color of your skin determined where you sat in a cafe or whatever. You know, it's just an observation. It's not Things a pro are or a con. It's just the times they are a changing. Somebody else wrote a song that said that a while ago. So um, seems like everyone's. But there are things like that on on this record. Um, there pointing are, out the there notion. Are, yeah, that, I, I mean, I, I love how the record ends with fleas because it kind of feels, it feels like it's always good to end with fleas. <laughs> it feels like. The world might be, you know, or there might be some kind of catastrophe coming, but it's also lighthearted and fun. So you're like having a party as the world spins out of control or something. It's a nice feeling, as opposed to getting all sad about it. Well, I, I'll read the line too, <laughs> because I mean, the, the way you've written has always almost been like uh, observational and sometimes quite literal when we think you're not being literal when you're you know, metaphorically. But you know, they say Mother Earth is dying. I don't see it that way, and she spits out massive hurricanes to wash us all away. I mean, it, it does take the twist in the way we all talk about it. Like, oh, we're all, but... Well, when all is said and done, we are the parasites sure. on the, on the uh, entity here, on the host. And uh, I think uh, this rock's going to be around a lot longer than we are. Um, yeah, I like that idea. People often worry about saving the planet, but the planet probably doesn't need saving. It's, a, you know, it's our species or other species that might be eliminated through our, you know, carelessness, but ultimately the planet's going to outlive us. I do like that. I like remembering that. I think that's a cool part of that song. But then again, a giant spaceship may come down and save us all. Maybe. 
We can be hopeful in that. Yes. If this is the nice crossover. It's a cookbook. <laughs> if George Clinton chooses to tour again. <laughs> well, I don't see that's happening. The band will, just not George Clinton. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. This is the nice crossover with, uh, with the two of your interests because, and I, I've seen some of the shows online and everything where you'll throw it to him for some science facts. I mean, that's, this is a, the, the biggest. That's a high pressure moment. Yeah. I got to do some, I'm going to, I got to remember to do my research backstage. That's all you do is do research. That's like his life. I, know, I, know. I mean, of course, we're, you know, we're looking at pictures of the black hole for the first time. That had to be that was amazing. a big day for you. It was a big day for everybody, I think. It was amazing because, I mean, the idea of imaging a black hole is, is unbelievable considering that we, we haven't directly imaged any exoplanets. So you realize that the thing imaging must be... Imaging a black <laughs> hole. An exoplanet. Imagine if we can. Exoplanet sounds like an ex, uh, like a Rush song. But um, well, Cygnus X1 the fact that we imaged it with light about? means that it's so big. That's yeah. what's amazing. I mean, it's just, un it's bigger than our solar system. So, you know, it's hard to get a picture of a planet, but you can get a picture of a black hole that's bigger than our solar system. And that's mind-blowing to me. It's crazy. It's actually daunting to think there are pits of nothing that are that big. And it's a selfie. <laughs> And it's a it selfie. Was, it was. It looked like a donut to me. It looked like a like big a donut. glazed donut. I felt. I felt bad not to be dismissive of that historical moment. But when I saw it, I thought, "Oh, that's what we thought it looked like, right?" Like that's It is exactly what Einstein predicted, yeah. predicted. It would look like. I mean, the relativity predicted with the models and right. the computers. It's. It's unbelievably close. Yeah. Um, while we're on the subject of the news, and I'll get back to the music in a second, I did want to bring up something because hot button topic was uh, lately was uh, Julian Assange, and um, mm -hmm. and you kind of came on Twitter, you you kind of came um, not to his well, rescue, but kind of pro what he's. Well, I just doing. feel like people villainized him a lot, and I understand not being happy with what he did, but I just feel like in the big scheme of things, people like Snowden and Assange are brave in that they they put their personal comfort on the line to to live by principles of you know freedom of of the press mm -hmm. and uh i think that's an important part of a democratic society you know free speech freedom of the press so um you know i think we live in an age where a lot a lot of stuff is getting censored in a sort of insidious way whether it's social media or even relationships between media companies and the White House, or lack of the, a lack of a relationship between a media and the company and the White House, but there still seems to be levels of like filtration that people like Snowden and Assange are brave enough to stand up to. So I just, you know, I I think it's cool, but a lot of my friends disagree with me, so it's fine. But I, I think it's cool that somebody would pretty much dedicate their lives to the principle of freedom of press, which is cool because you know all he does the same thing. He vets his publications. He considers security issues and he publishes things that people give him so you know technically that's legal I mean that's what a journalist is supposed to do you protect your sources and you publish the information and you consider the the downside and I, I don't feel like he's that different from other journalists other than he's been vilified and he's done something that's things that have upset people you know but. that's what I, I wonder it's um why do I agree with all of those things, but I don't like him for some reason? It's the yeah, way it's a lot of my painted, friends you know? don't like Well, Sean and I have talked about this quite a bit because we have get a couple of booze drinks in us. and uh, I mean, for me, yes, I now respect and admire uh, uh, the notion of honesty and presenting this information, but uh, from where I stand, the timing couldn't have been worse. You know, if this information was available, why didn't it come out earlier when we could have it was very damaging to the left at the wrong time, I feel. Right. So. Sure, I just don't think he should go to jail for it. And I don't think he should have been living as a refugee and 
you know, in the Ecuadorian embassy. It just seems a bit extreme, that's all. Yeah. And theoretically, he could be up for, you know, capital punishment if he committed treason under American court, which I don't think would ever happen. But still, even the threat of that is, you know, daunting considering he's simply publishing information. But I agree the timing was intense of, of, of the Hillary stuff, but, you know. Well, I mean. I still stand by it on principle. <laughs> I stand by it on principle, basically. I'm good. You guys keep going. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have no seg to tie this back to the music, but I'll, I'm going to get back there just the same. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I saw the picture in the paper. I thought Fred Durst got arrested. I know. It was, <laughs> I was funny. Like, I went on? on the bus and, like, the newspaper article of, of, of uh, Assange had, like, a little Fred Durst sign under it, which is funny because he does look like maybe a, a retired Durst. Yeah. I can use that actually as a saying. Fred Durst, Woodstock 99. Primus, Woodstock 94, all of them are celebrating big anniversaries this year as they're planning the new one. Are they really? Yeah, the Woodstock 19 is happening and uh, in the 50th anniversary. It's the 50th anniversary. And you did one of them. And I, I've, yes. I've talked to a few artists that have done it, kind of getting their take of what that was like for them and, and how they see that image because it became something else five years later and now it's being touted as something else again, I guess. Mm -hmm. I, I haven't really been paying any attention. Who's, who's on it? They didn't ask us. So. That's been a good question. Some people, and then some people drop off. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I you know, we we did the '94, which mm -hmm. was the first, the first sure uh, reboot. Yeah, reboot anniversary, right? Yeah. That was before the word reboot. But um, <laughs> and it was actually unbelievable. It was one of the best. You know, sometimes no matter how well you rehearsed you are, you have an off night, and ha no matter how crappy you are, you can have a good night, or or or, or rusty you are, I should say. And Primus was rusty as hell because I was out touring with somebody else, and we ended up coming together that night on stage and just had a, one of the best shows we've ever had. So it was a good one for us. It's a fun one to watch, too. I still have mud in my cabinet from when they were <laughs> fucking the mud up, up on the stage. The, uh, the Woodstock of mud. No, yeah, it's coming back around again. Uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, and as far as the rest of the year... Um, well, let's see, Sean. You've been doing the, uh, the the issues for your mom. Yeah. Are those still ongoing? Or are you done with those? Or more? Yeah. No, we have some pending releases. Um, I think we just came out with a wedding album. Uh, so we, I, I helped remaster all of my mom's LPs, and we included the ones she did with dad, like um, Life of Lions and uh, Two Virgins and Wedding Album. So those were the really hard actually to do because the packaging is pretty complex mm -hmm. on those especially the wedding album. So we just came out with that. And people seem to like it. Yeah. I liked it. To me, I consider it just a gift to my mom or something because, uh, you know, I don't know what to get her on Christmas. So I thought remastering her albums and putting them out, recreating them lovingly was like a nice gift to her. And she really did like it, to be honest. Like, usually if you give her a Christmas present, you know, it's hard to know. But with the LPs, I gave her a box of all the remastered, reprinted ones. She was like, oh my gosh, so... It was sweet. She was happy. It's something that's so personal to you, but we all benefited from that as well. Yes. It was very <laughs> personal. It was a nice thing to do. Yeah. It felt good. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's got to be an interesting thing for you to kind of go back through that part of the history right there, because as I've seen you say in other interviews, I mean, those were literally the makings of you in those albums, you know? And yeah, exactly. It was, really, it was really interesting to go back and listen to it all in like a good system in a studio, because, um, you know, they're probably not the records that I go home and put on for fun to listen to, especially, I don't know, especially the wedding album. It's just, it's a lot of gurgling and <laughs> it's a lot of gurgling. And You're the just, one who's heard it all. Yeah. Every, every, every but second of it's it. It's sweet. I mean, the way I look at it is it's just two people who've really obviously fallen in love and they're having so much fun. 
you know, they may be having too much fun. But they're having a lot of fun, and, and it's sweet because it, that is sort of from whence I come. So You're part of the gurgling. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of those gurgles for sure. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. I, I won't take this down that road, by the way, but... Uh, oh, go down the road. I'm not going to go down the road. Everybody but, wants that road. <laughs> We've done that a little bit before. I don't need to go down the road. What I will say is there, is there is that moment in the show you all chose to cover Tomorrow Never Knows. Of all the songs you could have done, you know, uh, of all the bands you could have done, I guess. Well, and, he didn't want to do any of my dad's songs. Uh, <laughs> well, we, were, we tried them, but they were too hard. No, I mean, we, <laughs> we, uh, I think we did that one because it's easy or something, but it's also it's kind of makes, makes sense with the And delirium. it's a pretty decent song. It's, oh, a, it's decent a great song. song. Yeah. Not but too it's, shabby it's, it's on the spectrum chord, of so, songs. You know, yeah. That way we don't have to remember too many things. <laughs> Uh, I still get it wrong though sometimes, but yeah, it's just one chord, and it kind of fit in with the delirium. So, I mean, Les was the one who encouraged me to do it because I am sometimes wary of uh, covering my dad's music. Not because I don't love it. I mean, I I play it at home all the time, and that's how I learned to write songs. But Les was kind of like, you know, it's time we got to do we got to do one song. I was like, all right. I think that was the only one I was willing to work. To well, try. I used to cover that song with the Frog Brigade. The thing I've noticed in being around. The, uh, not just him, but just the notion of, of the shadow of the Beatles thing or whatever, is there is that element that comes to the shows. And I really spotted it when we went and saw his buddy James McCartney at, a, at an event. There's that element of, 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 there's those individuals that come to the show looking to see the DNA. You know what I mean? And they've already got this preconceived notion or this expectation or whatever. And so I, I understand now, which I didn't in the beginning as much, why... Sean didn't necessarily want to do Bungalow Bill, which I was pushing for. Oh, yeah, he was pushing for that. <laughs> um, because it, it sort of continues to reinforce that notion mm. of those people that are coming that are going to, no matter what, you know, when you're, the, when you're the offspring of somebody who has left that huge of a footprint, I mean, it's, it's tough to get out from under that. And so I think Sean's done a great job of doing that throughout his career with the ghost and with the... With the um, Grand Royal stuff and and Chibamato and all that, whatnot. And now with us, it's it's he's he's really sticking his thumbprint out there. And you know, I told him when we first got together, I was surprised how great of a guitar player he was. And I said, "Hey, dude, I'm going to get you on the cover of Guitar Player magazine." Not that I knew anybody at guitar. He player really did that say that, and it, and it did happen. Just, <laughs> by what we created, I wanted to show the world that he's he's a motherfucker of a guitar player. And Thanks, Les. So. He, lo and behold, he's on the cover of Guitar Player magazine. It's pretty a couple funny. Months ago. He manifested that. It's an argument for. And better than that, he was mysticism. in Modern Drummer. As that's also I wasn't on the and cover. I didn't even get Modern Drummer. <laughs> I know that was hilarious. I did get in Modern Drummer. Yeah, that was a dream come true. Yeah, yeah so. I mean, honestly, you know, the reason I stay, I, I, I mean, not to bring it back to that because I don't need to, but the reason I don't cover Dad's music so much is more just it doesn't have any deep 
re there's no deep reason. It's really just because it feels the pressureful. I feel like I better do a good job. It's just like it's too much pressure, and I could never, you know, it's hard to live up to how good those recordings are. So you know, I avoid it because it's just too much work. But tomorrow never knows I can handle because it it's just that one chord over and over again. You know, so I can could do that one. That's fun we're, we're doing beautiful boy tonight. Oh god. <laughs> We're going to do like the bebop version. <laughs> it's the things that only you can say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's eat yourself uh, later on this year, the uh, Bastard Jazz. Is that what's up next for you? Uh, in a couple of weeks, doing a little Bastard Jazz, yes. Yeah. Yeah, what is that? I mean, other than maybe what it sounds like. It's basically me getting together with some, some individuals and just go walking on stage and improv I did it once for this comedy festival in San Francisco, and it was really great. It was Mike Dillon and Skerrick and Eric Harlan and myself. And this time, uh, it's myself, Mike Dillon, Skerrick, and Stan Moore, who I've never performed with. I've never performed with Stan. I've, I've sat in with Galactic and whatnot, but I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to do this thing down at Jazz Fest. It's Jazz it's Fest. It's Jazz Fest, yeah. Yeah, and so, you know, I'm, I'm not a jazz, jazz guy, but I'm, you know, I'm the bastard element of jazz. How's that? So. And you here, walk here in with nothing and, and just wait for it to... Well, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had was uh, we did this thing called um, Bucket of Bernie Brains, mm -hmm. Colonel Claypool's Bucket mm -hmm. of Bernie Brains years ago. And it was just showing up at Bonnaroo with Buckethead, Brain, and Bernie Worrell. And I literally walked on stage and said into the mic, I'm about to play the first note of my life with the fabulous Bernie Worrell. And I went, wah, and we went, wah, and we just played in front of 8,000 people or whatever it was. And it was... It was amazing. It was magic, and it's awesome. It was sometimes you got to do that stuff. Mm -hmm. Kick out, kick, kick off some dust and some cobwebs, and stand on the edge of disaster and see what happens. Not as long as you got some good comrades with you, it's you're, yeah. I feel pretty safe. Listen, not a lot of our you know feel like they can take risks these days. And both of you guys, I mean, the full compliments. I'm a fan, and that's the reason why a lot of us are fans. Thank you. Is to watch you do crazy, weird, fun things over and over and <laughs> it's over. It's the danger, the danger. <laughs> we live on the edge, baby. Yeah. Sean Ono Lennon, Les Claypool, the Lennon, the Claypool Lennon Delirium. Indeed. That right. South of Reality, the new record. Uh, thank you both for doing this. I really thank appreciate you. it. Why, sure. All right, let's head back to uh, 2014 now. That was when uh, Les and I uh, met up at the Mercury Ballroom here in Louisville, Kentucky, this time talking about uh, Americana music. He was on tour with uh, Duo de Twang. We got into the uh, Primus biography, uh, there's tribute to Willy Wonka. So this is part three of Kyle Meredith with Les Claypool. I am spectacular. Yeah? That's good to hear. Yeah. I, mean, I like checking on Things you. are good. <laughs> you got a lot going on. I have a lot going on. And maybe you always have a lot going on, but it seems like right now there is a bit more going on than usual because, and we're going to run through all of this, uh, there is going to be a new Primus record that's very interesting. Uh, there's a book coming out. And of course, I've got you uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky, as a part of Duo de Twang. Yes, twanging, yeah. twanging it up. This is only a couple years old, this project, right? That is correct. Yeah. How did it come about? Because I guess I guess I find it interesting. There was kind of an Americana explosion that happened a few years ago, and I wouldn't... I've been exploding Americana for <laughs> 30 years. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't lump you into that, but it's a very interesting time for you to do this project. We've uh, been progressive Americana. Progressive since, Americana since the get-go. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard you. Uh, well, I mean, you know, the lyrics of Jerry was a race car driver. You can't get much more Americana than that. Uh, or one known as Big Brown B. Right? That's true. That's true. So or my name is Mud, a tweaker <laughs> smashing his friend in the head with an aluminum yeah. baseball bat. That's, you know, Amer that's Those are American values. For, for the traditional Americana, though, and I, I guess we're, t you know, 
defining Americana loosely as a bit of a, an alt-country sound uh, these days. You put a banjo in there, they call it Americana. Yeah, and that's, that's a problem because I can look at like Jason Isbell as good Americana, and then I look at Mumford and & Sons, and I'm not knocking anyone in this, but, but they don't oh, seem like... They don't seem like... I mean, they're not... You know, they're, they're not... I don't find it to be real, you know? You know, I... I, my, if you looked at my iPod, which yeah. is jam-packed full of Americana that is, you know, from the 30s sure, and the 20s, sure. and the, that's that's what I listen to. Yeah. I, I, my kids listen to Mumford and Sons, yeah. and I've heard some stuff, and it sounds good. Yeah. I don't dislike it. It's hard to equate it to like Johnny Horton. But I'm an old guy. Yeah. So Johnny Horton was, you know, I grew up yeah. hearing Johnny Horton in the garage as I was, you know. Uh, putting slicks on my uh, um, purple American flyer. Yeah. He's an interesting choice because he, he's one of those, I think you have to be in the know almost these days. Like growing up, maybe in your generation is different, but, but the, it's something is lost. I don't think Johnny Horton ever made like I, Johnny Horton was a guy that my dad always sang around to me. I knew those songs before I knew the originals, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, yeah. but I, it's, it's, it's almost like uh, how W.C. Fields and the Marx Brothers and and um, Laurel and Hardy and whatnot yeah. sort of disappeared. And then there was this huge resurgence in the mm -hmm. 70s. Mm -hmm. You know, these artists, I think a lot of them will come back and, mm -hmm. and, and be, uh, be the, the, the iconic element will shine through, I would like to hope. Yeah. Um, you know, because Johnny Horton was huge back in the he day, was, you know, north was. to Alaska uh -huh. and obviously. Sing the Bismarck and Johnny Rev and all those. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He, had, he, he had huge, yeah. huge songs. And, and, and a heck of a death story, too. Afraid of bridges, yet dies on a bridge. Really? I didn't yeah, even know that. That See, was one of the things. So you're wording me up. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying. I like it. There's fun stuff. Like, you've always kind of done fun covers over your career. And, you know, you've got the Bee Gees on this. And I don't know how you come up with the covers. If it's just like, hey, you know, it's a good idea. Let's, let's do the Bee Gees. Let's, let's do Alice in Chains. Well, let's it's do... more, you know, there's no, it's a lot less pre-thought than most people would think. Right. You know, it's just, I mean, there's Kehoe down there right now. Picking away on his yeah. guitar, yeah. and we'll after this we'll go down there and plunk away, and we might stumble across something that's interesting. You know, we were working on "Holy Diver" by Dio a while ago. You know, <laughs> doing a twang version of it, and we just never completed it. Yeah. But um, the Bee Gees thing—it just, you know, I yeah. started twanging away, and then those lyrics popped out of my mouth, and I was like, "Well, shit, here we go. Let's let's do this one." Are you afraid of when it like it? Is, is there, like, the, it becomes kitsch at some point. Like, okay, we're doing a bluegrass version of the Bee Gees, and it can be looked at as kitsch. Or, or are you trying to say, like, here's a great pop song, and I want it to be taken seriously at this rootsy, bare-bones version? No, that's way too much thought. <laughs> so it's not anything. It, it's, it's not it's so just, much. It's, it's pasta being thrown at the walls, and yeah. that, that was a piece that stuck. Yeah. You know, and if I worried about what parts of my career are going to be perceived as, as kitsch, I would have never, I would have never progressed farther than my first record, you yeah. know, because, you know, Lord knows the beaver was, was taken <laughs> by, in many different ways by many different people and, and undermined, the problem with MTV uh, and... undermined certain elements yeah. of my sophistication, you know, in theory. Right. But, you know, I, I think you, you take life with a little, with a grain of salt and a little grain of sugar every now and again, you know, it's, it's it is what it is. You figured out how to do it. In fact, um, uh, there is a prime... I mean, when I get to sit there and play the rough mix of staying alive twang style in my car for Tom Waits and have him chuckle. That's pretty that's sweet. A, that's a good moment. That's a pretty, that's a good that's a pretty sweet position to be yeah. in in life. So, You've got that. We don't, none of us have that. You have that. Well, there you that's, go. A, that's a moment you get to keep. Now, you were talking about longevity. It's, uh, it's something I noticed at the beginning. So there's a Primus book coming out, The Oral History. 
Yes. Uh, which is a great read. I'm, you I, read it. I'm about uh, three quarters of the way through it. Uh, I didn't. Well, I, the, the rest of it's boring. I kind of wonder how it ends. The you know, first does two the thirds, Titanic sink? The first two thirds is, is hilarious. <laughs> That's what everybody wanted. It's, That's what happens with bands. Then they yeah. get, you know, jaded and boring. And I don't think that anyone's ever called Primus jaded, jaded and, and boring. boring. <laughs> All right, well, there you go. Unless it's the name of the new, next record, yeah. Jaded yeah, actually, and Boring. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, it's gonna not be a bad idea. But you start out, and there's something interesting. And uh, uh, when I saw it, you bring up your grandfather. Um, at the beginning of the book, it says, you know, my grandpa's still alive. He's 98 years old. He just or passed away. He just sorry. like a month ago. Yeah, I'm really he's sorry. He's 98. I'm, don't be, knew don't be coming, sorry. Yeah. Was, he was ready to go. Yeah. I talked to him a few days before he went, and we had some good laughs. Yeah. So. That's good. Yeah. But I saw that. It's like 98 years old. And here Primus is, against all odds, 98 years you old. You found the key to longevity. And that's what I'm saying. Like, everything was against Primus, it seems like, the oh, way yeah. your story happened, you know? And yet you somehow either muscled through it or just figured out the tricks. I know in the book it talks a lot about you having a plan the entire time and saw it through. I did. Did you? No, hell no. <laughs> I, you know, the whole notion, and we were just discussing this a minute ago because I was walking the streets with Kehoe, mm -hmm. and I was talking about the first time I was in the studio and, was, and, and this guy recorded this band I was in, and you know, I was a very timid and timid young fellow, and I went up to the good the guitar player and said, hey, you know, he's playing us the mix, and he's like, and I'm like, hey, you know, can, the, can we turn the bass up a little bit? Can't really hear the bass. And so the guitar player, he was the boss, he's like, uh, how about we turn up the bass a little bit? And the engineers, this British guy's like, nope, I refuse to turn up the bass. <laughs> we're like, okay. And that was the beginning of me going, you know what? Fuck these guys. Right. These producers and these yeah. bastards that think they know what the hell they're doing. Yeah. So. You took it in your own hands and it actually worked. I turned up the bass. It actually and worked. And it worked for me. It made me realize you got to be very careful. You don't. You got to. You also you walk a fine line as a young artist. You know, you're you're very arrogant. And sure. I meet these young artists now, and they're very arrogant, and they're going to take over the world. And that's that's a great attitude to have. But you have to balance that with sticking to your ideals, but also not being a dick about it. Right. So um, I think we were able to stick to our ideals and not be too terribly dickish about it, yeah. you know what I mean? But it, it, I and guess that's it, why we've been able to stick, stick around as long as we have. And I know a bit of luck plays into that too, because you know certain things have to fall. A lot of bands, if they try to take control, they're just going to be told no. There's a little bit of luck, but it, uh, it's yeah. perseverance. Yeah. You know, I mean, Primus, people say, oh, when you made it, when you made it. And I, what do you mean when we made it? It took sure. us, we started in 84 and just kept trodden, trodden, trodden up the hill. It was 84, I don't remember, didn't remember yeah. being that early. Yeah. I mean, the band that everybody knows came together in 88, sure. but... Um, but uh, it's all about perseverance. Yeah. You know, if you believe in something and you have a vision, and you stick to, and you stick to that, it's mm -hmm. a harder road. But it's it's a it's a um, it, the foundation you build is much stronger. Mm -hmm. You know, I've had many friends that have been parts of, of different trends and have shot up and be, been huge, and now they're long gone. You know, yeah. and we've always just kind of cruised along under the radar. We've had our little flashes of of mainstream, but for the most part, we're those we're those guys that that just sort of do our thing and 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 there's a, there there's a lot of people don't give a shit about it um, but there's a, a group of individuals that really do enjoy what comes out of our world well nothing sounds like you there, there's no other for promise. good or ill some people despise that well then some people relish it there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of lineup changes through the years. I don't. I didn't think I'd ever put it together. Just how many lineup changes? Not a ton, but there were definitely it's mainly lineup drummers. Changes. It's drummers. Yeah, because yeah. you know drummer rhymes with bummer. <laughs> Lonnie Marshall told me that one, that, and I stick with that it. to heart too. Yes. Did, did Primus ever get to a point though where it was just you? Like Trent Reznor eventually became Nine Inch Nails, and Billy Corgan eventually became Smashing Pumpkins. 
because you're a man of collaboration, but I didn't know if Primus was really just, and I'm not trying to take away from the other guys, amazing musicians, I no, guess. No, 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 because no. Primus is, you know, there is me, which goes out and does the Frog Brigade, and uh -huh. does the, excuse me, the Fungi Brigade, and whatever the hell else. I go do my things, the twang. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always say those are the songs that I, I would never inflict upon the guys in Primus, you know, as a joke. Like right. when I first did the Holy Macro record, I said that. But a lot of it is just, you know, I have such a strong vision for some of those bits. I don't want to, I'm not going to tell Tim Herb Alexander, you know, hey, you got to play, play this beat that I wrote, right. you know, it's like, eh, what the hell is the point of that? Yeah. Um, that Tim being said, Herb this Alexander. Wonka record, you know, we are kind of cross-pollinizing here. Yeah. We're taking basically my guys, uh, a couple of my guys from my band and putting them with Primus to, to do this Wonka record. And I hint about that in the book, that we got this project coming up mm -hmm. and people, mm -hmm. some people are not going to be real thrilled because there, there are those fans that want the separation between my world and the really? Primus world. But it's important. When all is You're going to have to get over that. Well, when all is said and done, I wanted it to be a good project. And right. I, I wanted to do the Wonka thing and I thought about doing it with just my guys and my band. But... Me and Lur and, and, and Tim have been having such a spectacular time playing together, it just, it feels right to yeah. do it with these guys. And of course, they knocked it out of the park, you know. This, I don't know if you've heard it, but the stuff... I've heard Pure Imagination. Well, the stuff that, that yeah. Tim plays on this, on this record is phenomenal. And I'm, yeah. a, I'm a bit of a drum geek or percussion geek, you know, especially when recording. I'm, I'm totally geek out on all this shit. I got all this vintage gear, and, right. you know. And... Um, by taking him, who already thinks thinks outside the box, and then putting him on this kit, which is the most bizarre kit you've ever seen, doesn't even really look like a drum kit. It looks more like just an explosion of, of percussion and bits, and <laughs> encircling him in this thing and, and watching what he does with it. It's yeah. it's really spectacular. I mean, you got one tiny sliver with the pure yeah. imagination. I, I really can't wait to hear it. There's actually a funny part um, once. Uh, it, it's almost like, I don't know if kismet's the right word for this, but uh, uh, Buzz, the Melvins, there's a part in his book where he calls you Willy Wonka. Oh, really? He, he says, you know, less is Willy Wonka, and I'm just an Oompa Loompa sitting back to listen to them. <laughs> uh, it's paraphrasing a little bit there, but that's kind of the gist. Well, I thought, yeah, well, how I, perfect is that? Because in a way, again, we're talking images here, uh, and here you are tackling one of the greatest, you know, movies for the, the, the soundtracks of all time. Something that seems like this was always supposed to happen. You were always supposed to cover Willy Wonka. Well, and there will be people that will despise it. You know, just like yeah. how many people, you know, how how people reacted to Tim Burton's version of mm. the rolled doll thing. You know, but what it's, the hell? It, it, well, you, it's you, a sacred cow that needed to be exactly. Uh, it needed to be bastardized, and we and we've done it. Mm. And it's all in the spirit of you know we dedicated the record to Gene Wilder because. Mm -hmm. I, I've always thought he was an incredible talent, especially the early 70s stuff he did, whether it was everything you've always wanted to know about sex and were mm -hmm. afraid to ask, a little bit he did in there, uh, producers, um, um, Young Frankenstein. The record is more about my perception of the film as a kid. Yeah, it was scary. Know? Yeah. And Primus made it a little bit more scary. Well, well, you, when you once read, again, I've only heard pure imagination. Well, when you read the Ro Roald Dahl books, yeah. they're pretty creepy and sinister. Right. You know. Right. Is there another Primus record after this that you're working on? I should ask that before we wrap this up, because again, this is not originals. This is, but you're always working on stuff. I would imagine that there's some kind of plan somewhere down the line of what the next project is going to be. You know, there's really not. I mean, I'm sure there will be talk once it once it once we get into this thing. But right now, we're just gearing up. I mean, I'm finishing this Twang thing, mm -hmm. and. Uh, 
uh, you know, the book's ready to come out, I guess, so yeah. it's coming out. Um, we got to gear up for this for this for this Wonka thing. Make sure the stage production is up to snuff. And we're talking about uh, it's been getting it's been getting some some pretty good buzz already. So mm. we're talking about maybe setting up some. We're doing some matinees in certain towns for little kids and mm. just only doing the Wonka thing. Um, Scaring the shit out of little kids. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and um, Since 1986. <laughs> and uh, even uh, maybe setting up some residencies here and there to do similar things. You know what? Uh, I just reminded of it. Uh, with the Flaming Lips have their Sgt. Pepper tribute coming out. Well, see, that scared uh, the shit out of me because the, w one of the other projects that I was talking about doing when we went to do this was... was well, we weren't going to do oh. Sgt. Pepper. We were going to do Magical Mystery ah. Tour. So it would have been an interesting, actually. You could still do a joint show if it ever wanted to. Well, be, but uh, it would have been one messed up. It would have been. Uh, I'm glad we didn't. Yeah, right, right. You know, I don't want to take any yeah. wind out of their sails, and I don't want them taking any wind sure. out of mine. I, think I, very, right I very much love the lips. Yeah, no, I think you went the right way on this. It's uh, it, it, caught, it caught me by surprise. It's Plus, not they're already using Miley. I don't know if we would have been able to get her. <laughs> you could have Katie. Who the hell's that? Katy Perry. You take Katy Perry. They have Miley Cyrus. So now we get Billy Ray. <laughs> but he's got to get his old hairdo back. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. One up to me. Les, it's been a pleasure, sir. Yeah, no worries. Thank you so much. All right, and the last stop on our trip goes back to 20, uh, 2011. This is when Primus dropped by the WFPK Studios in Louisville to talk about their album Green Nagahide, part four. Kyle Meredith with Les Claypool. Hey, man. How is everybody? Awesome. Uh, we'll jump right in here. You guys have, as Primus, been on hiatus for 11 years now, but you've all kind of worked together in that time? Uh, to an extent, every now and again, we'd get together, do a little nostalgia tour, you know, and yeah. play dust off the old tunes for the old folks and, you know, play hot rod rallies and um, flower shows and things like that. <laughs> that seems fitting. Yeah. So uh, I guess it's a little odd to say that it's been really 11 years since we've seen you guys. I mean, the tours have been there, but even in some of the other projects or yourself. Uh, well, uh, to, you know, to an extent, I mean, not not really. I mean, Jayski and I have, he's played with... Uh, you know, Frog Brigade and various incarnations of Claypool things. But, yeah. um, you know, besides Primus stuff, Lur and I haven't really done much together except for, you know, have, uh, you know, tiddlywink competitions and whatnot. <laughs> Which we're much better at. Awesome. Yeah, tiddlywinks. Yeah? Tiddlywink champion. Yeah. Got bruised. My, got my thumbs pouring out from it. How, how was it then linking up after all this time? <clears throat> it's been spectacular. Well, I mean, it's not like we... Uh, We've been on different planets or uh, opposing sides of the desert or whatever. You know, we're we're all friends and we hang out and yeah. every now and again. And and every few years, the notion of Primus pops up. And um, sometimes we do it, and sometimes we don't. And this time, we're doing like a real Primus thing with with a with a new record. You know, Jayski came on board, which has added a lot of uh, vim and vigor to the. Uh, to the the scene and uh the creativity just started flowing it started oozing out of us like you know uh like a thanksgiving turkey being being basted uh the, the we were we were showering ourselves with this the these these uh these sounds and we decided to make a record so here we are promoting our new record green naga hide the new record for primus I've heard you in a few interviews say this really does harken back to uh, Frizzle, uh, sound-wise, and curious as as you were just kind of like you said, just on the tours playing the hits, you know, or the hits for for the past few years. Did that lead, you know, really seeking out that sound? Uh, Not necessarily. I think it's more. I think the obvious parallel to draw there is is you know. Jayski quit the band one month before we made our first record. Hey, 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 no. And um, 
so you know his feel and sound was 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 very prevalent on those first couple records and so him coming back there's sort of that jayski bounce to the music yeah. again you know the this this the snippety snappity hi-hat and and the the hoppy kick drum and it's 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 got a similar feel obviously we've got a lot more years and barnacles and whatnot that we've acquired along the way so there's a, a definite element of progression and evolution i think but there's that old feel that that warms the cockles. Uh, Last year, um, you, you've got a few themes popping up again that you've uh, you've had some fun with in the past too. Um, specifically on a couple of my favorite tracks, uh, "Eternal Consumption Engine." Yes. And uh, and "Eyes of the Squirrel." Um, y- you know, in, in the past, you've kind of talked about uh, the, you know the social commentary and, and politics and reality TV. Are these things that really get under your skin, as it seems, in this, or is this more of just a reflection? Yeah, you know, I don't know. Um, as uh, as you as you kind of live your life and walk through the planet, there there are things that that uh, you make observations about that uh, are somewhat uh, uh, can be annoying or just ridiculous. Um, and sometimes they can be ridiculously annoying. Um, so I think a, a song like "Eyes of the Squirrel" is more it's more commentary on just what what's being observed and how we're all being observed. You know, I look behind you and I see a camera up on the ceiling, and that's you know that's a squirrel. It's the eye of the squirrel. Where you can't you can't drive down the street nowadays without a camera being focused on you in some way. You know, our, uh, my uh, my good buddy old Sad Brands, you know, got a got a ticket uh, going through a red light or whatever the hell it was, and, and he gets gets it back in the mail, and there's a big old picture of his face grinning away in the car, you know. So it's, we're all being watched, and we're all watching, and it's, it's the eyes of the squirrel, so. Yeah. Uh, and oppositely, do you mind turn, talking a little bit about uh, Eternal Consumption Engine, uh, especially that, uh, that end part with, uh, you know, it's kind of going off on everything's made in China. Is that something that really does uh, rub you? Well, I... I don't know if it's it's so much a, a rub as is reality as we travel the country in our shiny box that you pull into towns that were once very vibrant uh, um, uh, urban environments that are now ghost towns because they no longer make a certain candy bar there or a you know or, or an alternator or whatever the heck used to support that particular town you know now. <clears throat> that uh, that that position, that job, that paycheck is going to someone in Mexico, or like the song says, everything's made in China. Yeah. As far as politics go, uh, wondering if um, Sathington Willoughby um, is up to these days. What would Sathington think of all this? <laughs> <laughs> I think Sathington's selling insurance somewhere in uh, Richmond, California. I'm not. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> out of politics altogether. Yeah, you know, you can only take it for so long. Too many bands. Yeah, uh, it's, it's the old goldfish ball. I don't, I'd be a terrible politician because I couldn't handle the goldfish bowl. I think you'd be a perfect politician. You think so? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, comparatively? Yeah, I, I, I don't think so. <laughs> they, they'd be digging out all kinds of skeletons from my closet. Maybe, maybe. Uh, the band's nearly 30 years old now. Do you, uh, do you find yourself looking back very often? Do you, do you see uh, the albums that you liked more than the others? You know, the looking whole back through the part? haze, yeah, the clouds. Yeah, right. It's like your high school haircut. You know, you look at certain, <laughs> you look at certain, certain pieces of music or certain hunks of creativity from certain times and you go what the hell was i thinking and then time goes by and you go you know because like right now i actually have my high school haircut again and i'm 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 all good with it whereas there was a time when i was going what the hell look at that what was that clown thinking you know i think we all go through that so um and you reach a point in your life where all the haircuts are 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 dear to your heart so it always comes back around yeah thanks guys a ton for coming in today uh, I, I do got to ask one more question. Uh, recommend recommend me a good wine. 
Recommend you a good wine. Hmm. 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 The old Boone's Farm. Boone's Farm apple. <laughs> apple wine. I wouldn't expect you to. Get some Claypool Cellars, man. Come on. All right. Support your homies. Primus here on 91.9 WFBK. Have a great show tonight. Louisville Palace. All right. Excellent. Thank you. Yep. And again, my thanks to Les Claypool. The uh, tour, of course, again, is a tribute to Kings, celebrating a farewell to Kings from Rush. You can check all the uh, news out on Primus's website. Big thanks to you as well for uh, checking out this episode. Again, before you get out of here, you made it this long, you might as well subscribe. Uh, three new interviews every single week, a new one every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, NPR, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcast from. Subscribe to Kyle Meredith with. Then after that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, and bonus interviews Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence, as your music and film news, you can also find me on the social media spots, mostly on Twitter, but occasionally on Facebook and Instagram as well. All three of them, at Kyle Meredith. I do hope you like and follow along. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. In your jammies or something? It's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.